Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host this week, FG Deputy Editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. Up this week and with COP26 just weeks away now, we kick off our series on climate change and sustainability, looking at some of the fantastic work going on in the farming sector to mitigate the industry's impact on the environment. That's up in a few minutes. But first, and it's fair to say former Food and Drink Federation boss Tim Rycroft has joined AHDB at a slightly turbulent time for the levy board, following two votes to scrap the levy in horticulture and potatoes. But with more votes looming for the remaining sectors next year, Tim spoke to Alex Black about his priorities and why he wants his staff to step up and serve in his quest to rebuild levy payers' trust. The point I wanted to start on was really um, you've come into AHDB, I suppose, at a you know massive period of of change. What what made you want to uh, take up the role and, and come in? Well, exactly that really. It, it you know it's a fantastic challenge. It seemed to me that this is an organisation that's got a lot to give. That that is full of expert and passionate people. That's doing things that really help farmers at a time when farming is tough and. I thought the challenge of of taking an organisation which you know had had some uh, pretty significant shocks in the form of the ballots, and actually getting it marshaled back to the place where it needs to be, which is fully focused on levy payers, open and transparent, delivering the things that they want us to deliver. I thought that was a really exciting challenge, and in some ways, the Food and Drink Federation was a similar kind of story of an organisation that had got to quite a bad place and you know I, I really found that very motivating to to be involved along with a, a huge team of other people in in changing the fortunes of FDF and uh, so that was I guess the big motivation really about AHDB was was doing it for a, an even larger and, and more significant organisation. And you've kind of answered a little bit of my, my next question there but you know your previous experience at FDF and, and your career as a whole, what what do you think that allows you to bring to AHDB? Well, I think I've got. Uh, I mean, I, I bring clearly. I bring a bit of an outsider's perspective. I come from a, a non-agricultural background, um, and so in that sense, at least, may have a sort of fresh perspective. Uh, my background is very much in change and communication and reputation, and some of those things that I think are, are very important for AHDB as we go forward. Uh, our reputation has taken a bit of a knock over the last 18 months or so. We've got to put that right. We've got to demonstrate that the things that our critics have said about us aren't true. And we've got to communicate more effectively and more consistently, not only, of course, with levy payers, but also with all the other key stakeholders in the agricultural sector. Um, so people really understand what it is we're doing and what our kind of mission and purpose is. So I, I think the communication thing is important. Um, because any change programme really depends on good communication if it's to be successful. And I suppose I'm just wondering there with with your focus there on communication, do you think that was part of the issue with, uh, obviously, the issues with the potato and horticulture thing, that you weren't able to communicate, you know, your value to them adequately? I think communicate, yeah, I mean, I think communication was definitely part of it. Um, And I think part of it was that we didn't respond quickly enough. So, Partly, we, I don't think we were hearing the voice of levy payers clearly enough. And partly, I think that we didn't move fast enough to respond to their concerns. And those are two things that we can't afford ever to do again. 
And, um, you know, the the key uh, focus, I think, for everything we've heard from AHDB since the ballots has been about um, cutting bureaucracy and costs as well as, you know, listening to levy payers, etc. What What are your priorities for the organisation? Well, certainly cutting costs, I think, is important because, um, you know, we've with losing horticulture and potatoes, obviously, that's quite a large slice of our revenue. And, and it's important that we show that we can operate as a lean organisation. But that's not the heart of it. That's the heart of it is how do we make sure that we become an organisation where people say we're very much in touch with levy payer sentiment and that we are delivering the things that that levy payers want because they know they're the things that will help them to be more successful. So cost reduction is part of the agenda, but it, it's a kind of proof point, I think. You know, I talked about the us having to overcome the views of our critics. And one of the things we've been criticised for is that we've not been a lean organisation and we've not been transparent about the, how the money was spent and that sometimes it looked as if we behaved as if levy payers' money was our money. And however true or not those things are, they have become kind of received wisdom about us. And it's very important, I think, that we now prove that none of those things are any longer true about us. So, yes, we'll be reducing costs and slimming down the, the senior management levels wherever we can in order to demonstrate that we are very careful with levy payers' money. But the thing that I think will make the most difference is the stuff we're doing that is directly facing levy payers in terms of delivery, transparency and accountability. And and obviously you've got um, ballots upcoming for, for the rest of the sectors. Um, is there, there any update on what's happening there? And, uh, and I suppose that question there of how you convince your levy payers, you know, to back you in, in those ballots? Yeah, well, the, the, the votes, as we're calling them, um, because they won't be a ballot in the sense that the horticulture and potatoes ballots were were triggered under the statutory instrument. This is a different kind of process. The votes the votes are really critical for me uh, because that's about showing that we've earned back the trust and support of levy payers in the four remaining sectors. And that will be a process by which they get to tell us both what they see as the biggest issues of facing their sector and to tell us which are the products, tools and services that we provide that they genuinely rate and they wish to fund with their levy. And that is a you know a massive transformation in our relationship with levy payers, in our accountability to them. And in the votes, that will be the way in which I think we kind of earn back the permission to be the growing, thriving, outward looking organisation that I and all of our team want AHDB to be. On that, I mean, in, you, you've talk, talked a little bit there about what your priorities are. What what do you think your growers and, and farmers' priorities are for AHDB? What are they looking for from you? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I come from outside the sector and the, one of the first things I did before I started as I, I did most of my induction actually over the summer was to go out on farm and start to talk to farmers. And the thing that has really struck me, I mean, uh, first of all, of course, every sector is very different. Every farm is different. Every farmer is different. But there were some some big themes, and the biggest one really is how tough it is to be a farmer at the moment. You know, not only the very immediate issues, whether that's in the pork sector or fertilizer shortages or supply chain disruptions, you know, inability to get building materials. So the the, the price of gas, uh, uh, shortage of workforce, all those immediate pressures. But then you've also got more medium and long term things like the changing trading environment, which, of course, brings opportunities, but also potentially competition. Things like 
Um, the commitment, the statutory commitment to net zero throws a very intense spotlight on the activities of farmers. And, you know, one of the things I said to the staff on my first day was, given that farmers are facing such significant challenges, we can't afford to be an inward looking organisation. We've got to be out there helping them. We've got to step up and serve, as I put it. Thanks to Alex and Tim for that. Have you been wondering if your maize is ready to harvest yet? It's really important that you cut it at the optimal time to maximise quality and to age storage in the clamp. With modern varieties that stay green and with more variable weather, it can be difficult to get this right. But don't worry, just download the LG Maze Manager app. The harvest tool will lead you through a simple test in the field that will tell you when the maize crop is ready to harvest. It also includes a wealth of advice on the best varieties to use next season. Search LG Maze Manager in your app store today. Now it's over to Jess Frenenberg who's been finding out about processing heavyweight ABP's exciting project to reduce methane emissions in cattle. Red meat production has come under more scrutiny for its role in climate change than perhaps any other sector in recent years. While this attention may be disproportionate in the UK, with its mainly grass-based systems, and detract from some far bigger emitters such as transport and the fossil fuel industry, let's not get started on this one right now, there are however still many improvements that can be made to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of grazing livestock. ABP, one of the biggest meat processors in the UK, has been running a number of trials with this in mind and with some promising results so far, including 40% reductions in methane emissions and hundreds of pounds saved per animal through efficiencies. To tell us more, I'm joined by Dean Holroyd, ABP Sustainability Director, Liz Ford, Agri-Projects Manager, and Andrew McLeod, the company's UK Farm Manager. So welcome, Dean, Liz and Andrew, to Farmers Guardian Over the Farmgate podcast. I think we've got a lot to a lot to dig into today. Um, I've got a great list here of all the things that you've been doing around sustainability in your supply chains involving improved genetics, grass wards, speed efficiency, reduced methane production. I think, Dean, let's come to you first. Uh, you've obviously got the, the sort of overarching view in the business of sustainability. And I know that ABP has mapped the footprint of its beef processing chain. Could you just tell us, please, what you found when you did that? Yeah, so ABP Food Group, we've had a long-standing program of uh, sustainability and environmental sort of initiatives uh, going back to 2008. But clearly the sophistication uh, of this agenda has grown massively since 2008, current day, uh, where it is literally a burning platform. Um, And in around 2018, we embarked um, with the Carbon Trust to uh, explore science-based target initiatives. And when we map the farm-to-fork footprint of the ABP Food Group, what we find by far the biggest share of our farm-to-fork footprint is associated with our raw material um, and the livestock purchases that uh, uh, that we make day in, day out. 
so in that sense you mean uh on the farm then like the the majority of those emissions and footprints are happening on the actual farms is that what you're saying yeah associated with our cattle and our sheep purchases so about 90 percent of our footprints okay um so we'll, we'll get on to the, the individual um, trials in a minute and what you've been doing. Where are you kind of heading with this, I guess? Like, what, you know, what are you hoping through all these trials? What are you hoping the supply chain looks like in, say, 10 years time? I think given those metrics that I've, I've uh, just outlined, you know, it, it, it's incumbent on us, given the size and scale of, of our operation, um, to work with and try to support our farmer base um, in improving um, that that environmental footprint. Clearly, there's been an awful lot in the press of late. You know, the National Food Strategy, the UK Committee on Climate Change, all are, are advocating that we, you know, should be eating 30% less meat, not on, not on health grounds, on environmental grounds. Uh, we think that's flawed. Red meat products that are, are reared uh, on these British Isles are amongst the most environmentally sustainable in the world. Um, and for us to reduce our output and import higher carbon footprint products is just an anathema to us. But we're not saying that significant improvements can't be made. I want to be really clear about that. They can be made. And that's the work that we're about is to demonstrate and shine a light on those efficiencies that can be delivered without resorting to draconian action about reducing or culling overall numbers. Well, well let's let's look into what you have been doing, like you say, to make those make those improvements. Um, I just wanted to bring Andrea in. Andrea, I know you're your farm manager at ABP, and ABP has uh, two farms here. Can you just tell us a little bit first about um, where those farms are and um, what they're like and how they've, uh, what they're normally sort of used for? Okay, we've got, um, there are two farms. One is in Northern, in Ireland and the other one's in, in Shropshire. Well, in the Shropshire, Staffordshire border. The, the one at, uh, in, in Shropshire is 380 acres it is mainly down to about 300 acres of grass and a small bit of arable, and then there's, there's woodland, ponds, and such biodiversity sort of areas in, in within that. We take in batches of calves every quarter of about 125 each time, and they go through the farm on grass or in sheds, depending on when they come, come to the farm. And then at some point in the, in the cycle, they go into our trial shed, which measures the feed efficiencies of the animals. Okay, well, let's, let's look at one of those trials then that you've been doing on farm. Let's look at the genetics beef efficiency trial first. Andrew, can you tell me a little bit about that? What, what, you know, what is this trial? What are you aiming to do here? And, and where is this trial at the moment in terms of you know, how progressed it is? So as I said, each each batch of calves goes into our trial shed, and when they're in the trial shed, they go about their normal business. But we measure the feed intake of each animal individually, so that each animal is electronically tagged, and uh, we measure well on the, on the feed bins there, the um, feed out of. They are measured; they're weighed constantly, so it's a, an electronic measurement of of um, weight. 
and each visit to the feeder is measured by this by the machine and um, it records basically everything the, the cat meat. So they're on trial for 90 days. So they're also weighed every week. So once we get 90 days worth of data, um, we have we know exactly how much each animal's eaten and we know how much weight to put on. So then we have a, a measurement there. And then we look at the sires of these animals. And then we see if there's any collaboration with those that eat the least to gain the most. So basically, you know, basic key deficiencies. And it, it is as simple as that. And uh, yeah, and the results we're getting are, are quite interesting. Dean, let's, let's come back to you then. So with this trial then, what have you derived so far from the results about how genetics and feed efficiency can, can save methane emissions, essentially? What we are finding from the work we're doing at Bromstead is that the most elite sires versus the industry average can deliver upwards of more than 40% methane reduction. And that comes in two elements. The first element is the UK average for slaughter age is about 26 months. And we're slaughtering these animals at 20 months, partly because of the elite genetics. And then secondly, within that 20 month system, we're getting a further benefit from using elite genetics versus the average of a 20-month system. So about six years ago, we teamed up with one of the leading genetics uh, providers um, to start to examine, you know, how could we add value across this entire uh, beef supply chain? How could we generate the most efficient animals that would add the most value, both economically and have the lowest environmental um, footprint? Um, and what what underpins that that whole uh, genetics enhancement program is is data. Throughout the whole of the ABP supply chain, we we generate huge amounts of data and have a number of calf rearers. Each individual calf performance is monitored. We then have a number of finishers. We get less data from those finishing units, but we, we do get weight data and various other performance metrics. And then clearly the animals come into our, into our processing plants. And again, we get huge amounts of data in terms of their fat, confirmation, age, sex, breed, um, et cetera, et cetera. And when we looked at that information and that data, the one area we had a blind spot on was individual feed uh, intake performance of progeny from these superior sires. Okay, okay, great. So that's that's really promising then. Okay. Um, I just want to come to Liz then, because I know you've been doing other work related to methane as well. Liz, the Zero Emissions Livestock Project, um, I've got down here, it says that this is a, um, a UK-based startup which is looking to develop wearable devices for cattle with a view to cutting methane emissions. Can you tell us what, just explain to us what this is exactly and how ABP is involved. Yes, so this is very much a, a relatively new concept. We've been involved with the company with ZALP for a few years now. 
And basically, they're looking to develop a wearable device, or they are developing a wearable device that cattle that can measure individual methane output from cattle. Furthermore, that can actually then neutralize the, the methane and break that down to give us a real benefit in terms of methane mitigation. So it's not only just measuring the methane output from the cattle, but it's actually breaking that methane down. And some of those trials that we've had to date can show sort of a 40 plus percent reduction in methane production in those animals. So its potential has fantastic potential for the industry, um, but that's in development. And we've been working very closely with the company and with the University of Reading as part of that. Okay, so they. So can you just explain a little bit more how exactly these masks work? I've got yeah. down here that it captures burps. <laughs> so yeah, essentially it's a bit of a misconception, but most of the methane emitted from cattle comes through the nose. It comes through burps, and basically what the what the device is, it's a small plate that just sits above the nostril of the animal, um, and it has fans in to to basically suck up the methane, if you like, and that device just sits on a halter with a battery pack that sits behind the animal's ears on the neck. And within that, there's a chamber to collect the methane. So um, it's all very, it's, the animals are very comfortable wearing it. We've done a lot of work in terms of uh, the behavior studies. Uh, and so, yeah, basically it, it's an everyday tool that we can use to measure methane. A lot of the traditional methods at the moment are things like respiration chambers or, um, uh, or, or feed bin devices with sensors on. So this is potentially a very accessible method. Okay, so I mean, that, that all sounds interesting. Um, Andrew, I'm, I'm guessing like some of the farmers listening will be thinking, oh, is, is this, you know, how does this sit in terms of practicalities for, their, for handling livestock and in terms of welfare and all these sorts of things? As far as welfare is concerned, I think it's, it's, it's fine. It's... Um... It's, it will be a bit to get for the cattle to get used to it. You've obviously got to have halters on them, and that takes a bit of a bit of time, obviously. But we've we've done that, and uh, once the cattle get used to them, they're they're quite the thing. They're no problem, and uh, they go about their daily business as they normally do without any any bother. I think maybe the if if they all have them on, it'll be grand because. It's when we put maybe half a dozen in a pen and then the other ones are inquisitive and they start, you know, looking at them and just fiddling with them. But uh, no, on the whole, it's been, it's, it's worked very well. Dean, just to come back to you, the other trial that I thought sounded really interesting that ABP is working on is around grass sward research. And I've, I've got down here that you've been examining multi-species grasslands and their impact on animal production. Can you give us some examples then, please, of, of you know, what these different grass ward mixes are exactly and the impact of these differences? Yeah, so um, the work we've been doing with uh, UCD uh, at the Lions Farm, the task we're involved in is looking at um, performance of beef animals um, with uh, different grass lays. So the three grass lays that, that are, um, uh, are being trialled, there's a standard perennial ryegrass, there's a perennial ryegrass with white clover, and then there's a, a multi-species sward. And uh, the results have shown that uh, for our beef steers in their second year at pasture, that uh, compared to just the, the 
perennial ryegrass that um, performance on the ryegrass with clover and the multi-species sward, those animals had a 20% higher growth rate during that second year at, at grass. And as per our previous comments um, around anything that can contribute to helping reduce the age at slaughter has a significant methane uh, benefit and impact. That's quite significant, isn't it? That's that's really quite amazing. Um, yeah. Is that something then, are you, are you likely to be recommending this to farmers in your supply chain or how are you kind of intending to roll that out, I guess? Yeah, so I think we come back to the sort of role of Bromstead, which is a sort of demonstration farm to develop elements of practical applied activity that can then be rolled out much across our much broader um, supply base. So is this something then where, where farmers in your supply chain can actually come and come and see this in practice then? Yeah, so that's certainly the plan and increasingly uh, Bromstead's been opened up to showcase some of that activity. So in due course, we'll be doing a lot more of that. Liz, it sounds like a lot of these projects, you know, have um, a lot of applied uh, well, they, they are going to be very practical, aren't they? So uh, have you got any other projects in the pipeline that farmers listening, you know, should maybe be looking out for that we might see actually in the field in the future? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've always got activity going on. And certainly we've got a, a few new projects on the agenda at the moment. Um, one of those is actually part of a European collaboration called, um, the project is called Sea Neutral. And ultimately, it's to, to devise a tool that can help farms calculate their net carbon balance. But as part of that work, Bromstead involved with the University of Reading and other partners are very much focusing on increasing our knowledge base around mitigating methane. So we've done a lot of work, as you've heard already, with the genetics side of cattle, but it's now looking at genetics interacting with the environment. So there's going to be activity in terms of measurement, mitigating methane strategies, where, where we're going to be looking at genetics involvement and alongside grazing strategies, feed efficiency, et cetera. And also we'll be looking at perhaps some feed additives as part of that as well to see how that effect uh, works in terms of the methane mitigation and how it plays with the genetic impact as well. So there's a lot going on and ultimately it's trying to trying to devise some strategies then that we can put out on farm to help us all in the journey to net zero. Um, and along that way, we're going to have farmers involved in that project to help sort of steer the action, because ultimately, if it's not going to be available for farmers to uptake, then we're pretty limited. So whatever we come out with has got to have that uptake and buy-in from farmers to be able to, to be able for us to really move forward as an industry. Yeah, and, and Dean, just as a, a last word, really, I guess, like you like you've previously said, there's, there's been you know, a lot of scrutiny on particularly the beef supply chain, and increasingly so. What is the what has been the interest from your buyers, and I'm thinking retailers, food manufacturers, in terms of sustainability and, and what you're doing? You know, are they really are they on board with this and are they prepared to support it in different ways and maybe even pay more for it? I, I think the retailer interest is immense. Um, and not a week goes by, it would seem to me, that 
any of the retailers aren't out setting very ambitious targets for themselves in terms of net zero claims. Uh, clearly, when they do their hotspot mapping, red meat would feature fairly prominently in that. So it, it's definitely in their interests. Um, and they're very active at working with processors, working with their own pharma groups to understand how they can help contribute, help support to reducing this, this overall footprint. In terms of pricing, that's interesting. This, you know, I, I started this by saying that both economic and environmental uh, footprint travel hand in hand. And we talked about, you know, the methane reduction potential of these elite animals versus the average north of a 40% uh, methane emission. You know, those same animals, those elite animals, you know, uh, best versus worst, we've also demonstrated, you know, can deliver the differ a differential of over 200 pounds difference in terms of their efficiency throughout that entire supply chain. So the most efficient animals will be the most cost benefit animals will be the better environmental animals. So I don't think it's an area where consumers should have to pay for environmental benefit because there is value to be had across the entire supply chain by doing this. Thanks to Jez and Dean, Liz and Andrew there. More on sustainability and climate change in the coming weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. Until next week, from us at FG, thank you for listening. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.